the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. It takes a lot to get me down, as you probably know. I am a happy human being, and I have a happy disposition. The thought of an American president in a jail is a turning point in American history, and uh, it is a divide as great as uh, the one of the Civil War. I think the divide is greater because, I know, as bizarre as it sounds, given how evil slavery was, aside from that, Northerners and Southerners shared a lot of values. The left and right share no values. I'd like you to tell me a value that the left and right, I'm not talking about liberals and, and, and conservatives, I'm talking about leftists and conservatives. Name a value that they share. So isn't that a good question? So let's see, the values that matter. So... The three values of, of America, as on every coin, in God we trust, e pluribus unum, and liberty. So the left doesn't share a value for any of those. Freedom of speech is an enemy of the left, because if there's free speech, there's no left, or the left is much weaker. E pluribus unum, for many, one, uh, is uh, the, the old melting pot theory, as it was known, uh, a phrase that probably no young person ever even heard of. And that is that whatever our racial, ethnic, religious identity, we're all one, we're all Americans. Uh, that is the death knell to the left as well, because if we don't divide Americans by ethnicity and by race, then again, the left has no basis. And in God we trust, well, obviously, leftism is the antithesis of Judeo-Christian values, most most leftists have contempt for religious Americans, at least for religious Jews and Christians. They don't have contempt for religious Muslims. And uh, let's see, what else could they possibly uh, share? We, we share a value on how humanity uh, is, in fact, either male or female. No, we don't share that value. Do we share a value... Uh, in meritocracy, where you earn your way to the top, and we don't share that value. Meritocracy is a form of white supremacy, according to the left, which, of course, is the most racist thing you could say, because it means that if you advance by merit, it will inevitably result in white achievement or greater achievement. So think of it. So, whenever I speak, I think, well, that, that, that's 
That's an essay I should write. Are there any values that left and right share? If you think it is, it is a healthy sign for America that a president is jailed, uh, then we share, uh, I can't think of any values that we share. I, I would not want Joe Biden in prison, though he certainly has merited it. This is a very, a very bad, a very, 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 very bad moment in American life. It is the the rupture the left claims they are not for. Oh, it's the, the right that's divisive. Oh, my God. The projection is palpable. Yes, that's a good one. Palpable projection. <laughs> a... a the former president of the United States is in a prison because he told the Secretary of State of Georgia, find me X number of votes. Did he say, I want you to lie? I want you to uh, jail people. Uh, I want you to coerce people into changing the tally. Uh, For him to get a fair trial in New York City, Washington, D.C., or Fulton County is as unlikely as any place a black could have gotten a uh, a fair trial in the South during the heyday of racism. It is not possible to overstate the damage the left is doing to the United States and wishes to do. They've already crushed every association, American Library Association, where the head is proud to announce she is a lesbian Marxist. Okay. I'm reading a book on the Russian Civil War. Marxism does not exactly resonate as a hopeful-ism. It is barbaric. Wherever people have tried to institute Marxism, they have created a barbarity unknown anywhere in the 20th century outside of Nazism. And yet she says she's a Marxist lesbian Marxist for to boot. Hmm. Why does she say why does she announce lesbian Marxist? Isn't that an interesting question? What is the purpose of saying I'm a lesbian Marxist, the head of the American Library Association? Isn't isn't Marxist enough? Do I care if you're a heterosexual or a homosexual Marxist? What what difference does it make? But this is this is the United States as of mid-August of the year 2023. The number of people who have done horrible things to other humans violently, and are allowed out on bail. And was he? Is, will he be allowed to issue bail? I mean, what, what is the story with him? Does he go? Does he go to prison? The President Trump? No. He doesn't. I don't think so. You don't think so? Kind of hmm. When I think about the Department of Justice nationally and the various district attorneys, for whom leftism is so is infinitely more important than law as we understand it, than the Constitution as we understand it. 
You understand? This has always been the case. Leftism uber alles. Leftism above everything. Weightlifters, male weightlifters are allowed to compete against women weightlifters if they say they're female. That's just happened in Canada where the man claiming he's a female lifted 400 pounds more than the second place woman. Do you realize how, how corrupted your mind, not to mention your heart, has had to be for you to accept that as fair? Any feminist organizations in Canada decrying this? 200-something kilo. So it's over 400 pounds. There is no level of farce that is not taken seriously by the left. This is our nation, and this is Canada, and some other parts of the West, though we are worse off than others. Has, uh, has it happened? I'm just I'm curious. So has, uh, has Britain ever arrested in modern times a former prime minister? Okay, I can't think of any. Has France arrested a former president? Has, you know, has any, have any of the uh, Scandinavian countries, has Spain, I wonder, has any Western European country arrested a, f- a former president or the head of the opposition? This, this is what occurs in, in corrupt, often third world countries. But the New York Times is for it. That's got to teach you something. After all, as the woman, oh, many years ago, about 20 years ago, appointed managing editor, the first woman managing editor of the New York Times, she said, and it was reported the day she was appointed, the New York Times was the Bible, or like the Bible, I don't remember which, in my house. Remember they took it down? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Why? Were they embarrassed by the comment? They wouldn't be today. Oh, I know, you're right. Wait, Dennis, you're right. I'm now thinking aloud. I know why they took it down. They considered that an insult to the New York Times. (laughs) That's it. I can't believe it. All these years, I didn't realize it. We're like the Bible? Please, you're disgracing our name. Back in a moment. On MyPillow's 20-year anniversary with over 80 million MyPillows sold, Mike Lindell at MyPillow wants to thank each and every one of you by giving you the lowest price in history on their MyPillows. You'll receive a queen-size MyPillow for $19.98. Regular price is $69.98 and just $10 more for a king size. You'll receive deep discounts on all MyPillow products, such as bed sheets, mattress toppers, pet beds, mattresses, my slippers, and so much more. This is the time to try out some of their other amazing products you had your eyes on. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio slash podcast square and use promo code Prager to receive this amazing offer on the queen-size MyPillow for $19.98 or call 800 761 
800-227-6302. This offer comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. It's time to start getting the quality sleep you deserve. So go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code Prager or call 800-761-6302 today. You, my friend, call on you, my friend. Okay, my friends. Go to uh, Dan because I think he doesn't fully agree. And that's I have affirmative action for calls that disagree. It is the antithesis of the left, which suppresses those who differ. Hi there, Dan, in L.A. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, regarding trans athletes, uh, I would agree. However, I wouldn't agree with your position on all trans issues. But uh, the, the bigger point is about crimes committed by politicians. So it sounds like you'd prefer to have someone who commits arguably crimes not be charged or tried if they're a candidate. Generally speaking, that is my position, that unless the crimes are so egregious uh, that uh, we have to set a precedent we haven't had in 250 years of arresting the leading candidate of the opposition and a former president, that is correct. I think that the crimes have to be so egregious that you're tearing apart the country by jailing your opponent should never be done. That is my position, correct. He's not. He's not being jailed unless he's convicted. I understand. Number one. And well, two, uh, indicting him. Indicting. Okay. Okay. The crimes were egregious. Okay. If you believe that, then uh, clearly uh, there's nothing. And okay, people so. say, "Well, what about Biden? What about his corruption?" I say, "Charge him." Uh huh. Okay. So, all right. Well, you're consistent. You would like to tear the country apart in both no, directions. No, I would not. Yes, you That's do. Not true. When you I think it's, uh, allow me it's, to speak, when you jail a president. You tear the country apart. I don't care if the president is a Democratic crook or a Republican crook. That you don't appreciate the price the country pays makes you have a different view. Let me ask you something. You said you don't agree with me on trans issues. Can you name one that you don't agree with me on? You go too far. I agree with you. No, no, no. So you said you don't agree with me on trans issues other than sports. Give me an example. The demonizing. Okay, that, that that's not a position. Demonizing is not a position. I demonize the left. I don't demonize trans people. So you don't differ with well, me on any position on trans, and you agree that it's okay to arrest presidents and leading candidates of the opposition. Okay. That's well, you can summarize it that way, but if we had time for a conversation, you would We had time for a conversation, and that's exactly what you said. Folks, it's a fascinating thing. I wish he would play it again. I have no ant- antipathy to my caller. I respect the fact that he listens, but it is fascinating to say, except for sports, I don't agree with you on the trans issues, and then not give me one example. I knew it when he said it. I can't think of a trans issue that he would differ with me. Does he think that girls should have their breasts cut off? Yes, I demonize the doctors who do it. That is correct. Absolutely. They are demonic. That is quite, that is quite right. You're a scumbag. If you are a therapist who says to an eight-year-old, yes, you're really a boy to a girl. You are a scumbag. You are a disgrace to the human race. 
But other than that, I can't think of an area we might differ. People who are angrier at Donald Trump than at therapists who encourage eight-year-olds to change their sex? Something that can't be done in any event. Yep. If nothing else, I clarify the staggering gulf between the left mind and the non-left mind. If only liberals understood. It's so, I tell you what I read about the Russian Revolution as I'm reading again. <laughs> the, the inability of people to recognize evil. The left has always been evil. Always. Not liberals. Many liberals have been wonderful. Liberals and conservatives run the, run the moral gamut. Leftists only do evil. Give me an example of a left-run institution that encouraged freedom, just as an example. That made people kinder. Did your child go to a left-wing university, which is redundant, they're all virtually all left-wing, and come back a kinder human being? Just out of curiosity. A more intellectually open human being? Did you send a decent kid to college and get back an indecent kid? Was it conservatism that ruined your child? Or leftism? If my producer were not here, I would give you an example of communist atrocities in Russia during the Civil War. But I won't because I'm sorry, and this is not, I'm not being cute. He can't, uh, he's known as uh, not terribly emotional, but uh, it's not fully true. What the, what, what communists did in the name of the revolution Apparently, uh, there is a reaction in the world. The, the battle against the left is not over, my, my friends. Just want you to understand that. Not over by any means. There is a piece in the Telegraph in London. Fury of the silent majority is driving a global right-wing counter-revolution. Across the Western world, anger at a woke ruling elite is benefiting the right. Apart from in Britain. You know why? Because the so-called right in Britain destroyed the right. Boris Johnson did a lot of damage. Really did a lot of damage. This man, this man really hurt his country. He, he governed woke as, as a so-called conservative. These are not happy times. Across the West, the vast majority of voters are fed up with the status quo, furious at the political class, and desperate for alternatives. More on that when we come back. On MyPillow's 20-year anniversary with over 80 million MyPillows sold, Mike Lindell at MyPillow wants to thank each and every one of you by giving you the lowest price in history on their MyPillows. You'll receive a queen-size MyPillow for $19.98. Regular price is $69.98 and just $10 more for a king size. 
You'll receive deep discounts on all my pillow products, such as bed sheets, mattress toppers, pet beds, mattresses, my slippers, and so much more. This is the time to try out some of their other amazing products you had your eyes on. Go to mypillow.com and click on the radio slash podcast square and use promo code Prager to receive this amazing offer on the queen size my pillow for nineteen ninety eight, or call eight hundred seven six one six three zero two. This offer comes with a ten year warranty and a sixty day money-back guarantee, it's time to start getting the quality sleep you deserve. So go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code Prager or call 800-761-6302 today. Okay, so I'm going to read to you from the uh, Telegraph here about uh, what is happening around the world. This is very, very interesting and should give you some hope. The vast majority of voters are fed up with the status quo, furious at the political class and desperate for alternatives. They believe society to be broken, that the post-industrial economy and globalization generally aren't working for them and are angry at the vast cultural, social, and technological changes that they feel have been foisted upon them. Almost wherever one looks, from New Zealand to the Netherlands. Whoa, New Zealand. Hey... Prime Minister Arden, who announced that if you don't hear it from the government, it is not true. Every leftist is a totalitarian at heart, whether they're aware of it or not. David Horowitz, who grew up a communist, is a baby, a red diaper baby, as they call it. He has always said this, and he's always been right. Liberals are not totalitarians. They vote for totalitarians. But the left is. If you don't hear it from the government, it is not true. This is what the New Zealand Prime Minister said during COVID. Why doesn't that scare you if you're a liberal? Tell me. Does only Donald Trump scare you if you're a liberal? The left does not scare you? And and the truth is it doesn't scare most uh, liberals because they don't want to know If you have a a liberal, not a left-wing relative, I'll bet half the time if you mention something about the left, they'll go, really? Ah, come on, that's that's crazy. Oh, a a man said he's a woman and, and won a weightlifting competition in women's weightlifting? Oh, that's crazy. That's it. They're always dismissed as crazy aberrations. If you don't hear it from the government, it is not true. Unless you hear it from us, um, it is not the truth. Okay, there you go. What I want to know is what number of New Zealanders, what percentage of the people of New Zealand shuddered when they heard that totalitarian comment? We are the only source of truth. Wow. Imagine if, if, a, if a right-wing leader said that. Almost wherever one looks, from New Zealand to the Netherlands, hundreds of millions no longer feel in control, valued, or even consulted by the self-satisfied ruling class. In the UK, 70% believe the country is moving in the wrong direction. An NBC poll found 74% of Americans saying their country is on the wrong track. Well, I'm surprised it's only 74% since the the right believes that we're on the wrong track. And I don't know, it's interesting when the left 
Liberals might say it. Why would a leftist say we're on the wrong track? Isn't that an interesting question? Why would a leftist say America is on the wrong track? What leftist goal has not been achieved? They would say everything. They would say everything, but that, that, that's, that's meaningless. They don't control the universities. They don't control the medical schools. They don't control children's hospitals. They don't think they do. Okay, that answers the question. Because there are still there, are, <laughs> because there are still conservatives, pockets of resistance. Exactly. Well, it must be true because the fear of PragerU videos, folks, you have no idea. The only, uh, I think the, oh, oh, the New York Times has weight in Charles Blow, yes. The man who told his son, proudly told his son, if I recall correctly, that he has a lot to fear from the average white in America. These people make up stuff. It, it, it's, un, it's unbelievable. Slavery wasn't that bad, that that's the PragerU position. Because we put those words in Christopher Columbus's mouth in, a, in, a, in an animated story. As I pointed out yesterday, if we had Christopher Columbus say slavery is bad, we would be accused of lying because he thought it wasn't bad. So that's what we have him saying. Truth is so foreign to the left that even when you tell it, they somehow figure out a way to distort it. Okay. Life expectancy may have peaked. Economic growth has been feeble for years as of real wages and so on and so forth. Women are having fewer children. The family is under extreme pressure. Loneliness is exploding as it becomes harder to form and stay in long-term relationships. Secularization has left an unfilled spiritual void across the West that is being met by dysfunctional ideologies and social movements. That's it. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. Secularization has left an unfilled spiritual void across the West that is being met by dysfunctional ideologies. That's every leftist ideology is a dysfunctional substitute for Judeo-Christian religions. I have one of my favorite people on, Amal Ebunobi. She's a PragerU personality. For those of you who don't know the term personality, it's a, it's a funny term, actually, that it's developed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask uh, Amala. <laughs> Amala, do you wake up and think of yourself as a personality? You know what, Dennis? I've always thought the term was strange myself, uh, and I, I, I don't even know how to define it, to be honest with you. So I don't think I wake up every day thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, when did it get coined? You know, there's a broadcaster, um, columnist, thinker, podcaster even, but personality, it's, it's, very, it's very funny that that developed. You certainly have a personality. I think I, that, I, that makes more sense. Anyway, for those of you who don't know, Amala is, is truly uh, a sensation, uh, a staggeringly large audience, mostly young people. 
And she does have a podcast. Yes, exactly. Yes, unapologetic. Yes. And uh, it's uh, it's massively successful. I'm curious, what's has any have any one or two issues dominated? Let's say the last week of your podcasting. Ooh, um, you know, race and gender have been have been major. I think that this past week, the the gender front, I think, is nonstop and just continues. Uh, one of our most recent, just insane stories is a group of young women in particular that identify with a community called RCTA, and it stands for Race Change to Another. So now there's young women who are on the Internet talking to each other about how to change their race. And more often than not, it is young white women trying to change their race uh, to, to be East Asian. So we've been talking a lot about that. One minute, I, I, I have to get up from the floor. I know, I know. <laughs> wait, wait. The punchline really caught me off guard. I, I, I would have. I was sure you were going to say white women who want to be black, white women who want to be Asian, East Asian. Yes. So is, do, you, do you have Asian, a theory? You have a theory on that? Yeah, I think Asian culture is becoming more and more prominent in the United States, um, particularly through things like uh, anime, K-pop. People are watching Korean dramas here in the United States, and young women are really starting to identify with the characters that they're watching and some of the stars that they love. And, you know, the the worst thing in the United States to be right now, if, if you're on the Internet, is probably white. And they're deciding, well, why not? try to be that K-pop star that I like or the girl in that anime that I love to watch. And as, as the culture becomes more dominant here, they're starting to identify with that more and have this sort of aspirational view towards being Asian. I, ha- I have no words. Do, uh, how do they go about doing this? Oh, Dennis, here is the real kicker. Okay, so... They find online communities of other young women who feel this way, and they're, they're conversing with each other, of course. But there are videos that you can watch on the Internet, and these videos will have Asian music, some of their favorite Asian characters, and text about the scientific ways that you can change the way that your face looks. And these women will play these videos, listen to them while they are sleeping, and they are called subliminals. They are convinced that these videos subliminally change their face, their facial features, the way that their body looks, the way that their eyes look, and make them look more Asian the longer they listen to them. I wish I was joking. <laughs> that was the perfect ending. I wish I was joking. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a little hard. A little hard. I always think that we have reached the end of the line on the absurd. And I'm wrong. I'm constantly proven wrong. I'm I'm just thinking, uh, though, what if I identified as, let's say, Korean and tried this? So I would be a a very uncommon combo, white, Jew, Korean. (laughs) Diversity is our strength. Dennis. That's right. Well said. You can't get more diverse than that. <laughs> so in all seriousness, it, I mean, is this just a tiny, tiny 
group of very lost young women, or is it becoming a trend? It is a, is a, it's a tiny group that is on its way to becoming a trend and that is growing uh, the more and more the time goes on. And I think it's, it's very similar to what we're seeing with gender. Uh, with transgenderism among young people, women and young girls tend to be the most affected by this ideology, and it's because they're going through a really turbulent time in their young adulthood, as we all do. And when you can find a space on the Internet that will entertain quite literally any beliefs that you have about yourself, and you enmesh that with the idea that race is the most important thing about who you are, I think more and more we're going to see people identifying as, as transracial or RCTA, as they put it in this community. Oh, my God. All right, so make a case for people to uh, donate during August, which is fundraising month for PragerU. Sure. I mean, I just pointed out some of the major problems that we're having right now uh, as far as thought in this country. And we are, we're in an ongoing identity crisis among young people. That's a big part of my job at PragerU is reaching out to those who, who feel disaffected and, and uh, for lack of a better word, marginalized in where we are currently as a society and trying to break the chains of left-leaning and woke ideology. And PragerU is constantly having that at the forefront of their, their mission statement. So that's a good reason. It's just support the fighters who are working on getting rid of some of these major issues and speaking to disaffected young people. As usual, well said. Amala, you're a joy in my life. Well, thank you, Dennis. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. So Amala is an example of, of what we do to reach out, and it drives... Uh, people who are hurting this country crazy. August is fundraising month. I chose it simply because my birthday is the beginning of August. And please donate at PragerU.com. You'll feel good that you've done good. As I always say, there are three types of good people. Those who fight, those who help the fighters, and those who do nothing. Helping the fighters is as important as fighting. PragerU.com, 833-PRAGERU. Back in a moment. Hello, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. It's a very dark day. Thought of an American president on trial. Washington, D.C., New York City, Atlanta, Georgia. Alan Dershowitz is a lifelong Democrat, lifelong liberal Harvard Law School professor, now emeritus. And he writes the following, Alan Dershowitz does. Electoral challenges have long been part of American history. Only now they are being criminalized. He voted for Joe Biden. I'm, I'm only pointing that out because he's one of the last remaining liberals true to liberalism and indeed true to truth. I was one of the lawyers involved in objections to Florida's presidential vote in 2000. A margin of less than 600 ballots determined the gov- that Governor George W. Bush, rather than Vice President Al Gore, won the state and thus the Electoral College vote. I was convinced then, and I am convinced now, that this result was wrong. 
No one was indicted, disbarred, disciplined, or even much criticized for those efforts. Yeah. So here's a lawyer for Al Gore. They challenged the vote. As did Hillary Clinton when she lost to Donald Trump. These people charged with with crimes, moral or legal. President Donald Trump and 18 other defendants has been charged with election fraud, conspiracy, racketeering, and more under a law designed to take down criminal organizations known as the RICO Act. This is what they have done. They have made the government and its powers weapons to fight their opponents. That's all this is. Very few liberals and no leftists understand that. Well, maybe leftists do. I think in their heart they know. The the point of power is to use it to, to crush your enemies. Should Al Gore have been charged in 2000? What about me? Alan Dershowitz asks. I represented the voters of Palm Beach County, many of whom voted by mistake for Pat Buchanan rather than Gore because of the infamous butterfly ballots and hanging chads that prevented their votes from being accurately counted. During the course of our challenges, many tactics similar to those employed in 2020 were attempted. Lawyers wrote legal memoranda outlining possible courses of conduct, including proposing a slate of alternate electors. Whoa, get that. Which uh, would have... One second, excuse me. Which, uh, who would deliver our preferred election results to Congress. Now Trump and his attorney Rudy Giuliani, along with others, are accused of conspiracy to commit forgery and false statements for drafting their list of alternate alternate electors. In 2000, Florida state officials were lobbied to secure recounts in selected counties in which we thought the tally would favor us. Remember that? I remember that. We were trying to find at least 600 votes that would change the result. This new indictment features Trump's phone call with Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, which was captured in an audio recording. In the conversation, Trump asks Raffensperger, Raffensperger to find, quote-unquote find, 12,000 votes. In my mind, this call is among the most exculpatory pieces of evidence. Trump was entitled as a candidate to ask a Georgia state official to locate votes that he believes were not counted. You realize how we are, how the left is wrecking this country because he said that? Find me 12,000 votes? Did he say manufacture? He said find. In 2000, attempts were made to influence various Florida officials to recount the votes. Now the former president's request that Georgia's Republican Speaker of the House reconsider the count as being charged as soliciting a public official to violate his oath. Yeah, 
That's correct. One of the last remaining liberals, Alan Dershowitz. Okay, let me continue with this. This is really an important piece. We should put this up. It's from the Daily Mail. In the end, all those efforts failed when the Supreme Court... Oh, excuse me. He writes here. But if similar behavior was legal in 2000, how could it be illegal in 2023? In the end, all those efforts in Florida failed when the Supreme Court in a 5-4 to four vote ordered the recount stopped, thereby turning the election over to President George W. Bush. I wrote a book titled Supreme Injustice, Condemning the Supreme Court's Decision and insisting that the election had been stolen from Gore and improperly handed to the candidate who received fewer votes. The book was a bestseller, featured in front-page reviews in the New York Times and other major publications. Most Americans thought that those challenging the Florida vote had acted in good faith, even though the courts ruled against them. What's different today is that many observers do not believe that Trump and his advisors were sincere when they declared that he had won the election. But that doesn't make what they did a crime. The Georgia indictment hinges on the allegation that Trump was lying in order to corruptly prevent the inauguration of the candidate who won the election fair and square. Conspiracy and RICO violations are specific intent crimes. In order to secure a conviction, prosecutors must prove a personalized agreement to join a criminal activity. That will be an incredibly difficult case to make, especially regarding Trump himself, who to my knowledge has never wavered from his belief that the election was stolen. He is wrong, but again, that is not enough to prove him guilty. The First Amendment and general criminal law principles protect the right to be wrong. (laughs) Especially if that right is based on an honest mistake or belief. Many point to the claim that Trump Associates allegedly stole voting machine data. But that accusation is hotly contested. The jury will have to assess the credibility of each side. The fundamental truth of this indictment is that if the evidence of specific crimes were compelling, there would be no need to charge under the onerous intent requirements of RICO, the Racketeering Act. The proof is not compelling because those electoral challenges have have precedent. Once again, as with the preceding three Trump indictments, the law is being stretched to its limits in order to snare a former president. Show me the man and I'll show you the crime is the infamous Soviet-era boast attributed to Joseph Stalin's chief of the secret police. Is this really what our country has become when prosecutions are rooted in the fickle ground of politics and not the solid rock of justice? Everything will crumble. We're becoming like the Soviet Union. That's what I've been saying for years. That's right. Can you imagine the shell shock that people who escaped the Soviet Union to come to America the free? 
the land of the free. Imagine what they must think. It's like the story of the angel of death. What is it? What is it called? Something in Samara. Are you familiar with that legend? It's a Persian legend where a guy meets the, the, the angel of death and he starts galloping away to avoid him and he goes to another city and the angel of death actually says, hey, I'm surprised to see you here. Soviet immigrants to the United States not all. Some are Soviet, Sovietized themselves. But by and large, that's how they must feel. The angel of totalitarianism has followed me. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Do you remember... The shooter in Nashville, how many, how many people did uh, this, this individual kill? Let's see. It's a mass shooting. Three adults and three children were killed. Wow. Three adults and three children at the Covenant School, a Christian school in Nashville. The interesting thing about the shooter is that it was a trans female. It was a man who said he's a woman. Hmm. And the interesting thing is that this individual left a manifesto before being killed by police. Hale is the, is the individual's name. What is the first name? What is Hale's first name? Let's see. Um... Audrey, yeah, that was the new name. That was the name he took. Audrey Hale said that he was a woman. Okay. The manifesto included detailed plans put together over months to shoot up the school. Now, don't we always find out about these manifestos? Especially if it if it's done by a white heterosexual male? Don't we get access to these things immediately? Do you know that the Nashville police and the FBI have not released the manifesto? This is a story in the New York Post. They've still not released it. What, what was the date of the, of the murders? 
Let's see here. The date of the murder is August 21st. No, no, excuse me. That, that's, that's the session that's coming up. Let's see. What, what is the date? Is this, ah, March 27th. So that means April, May, June, July, August. It's almost five months. And we're not uh, the FBI, which has been thoroughly corrupted on behalf of the left, because the left ruins everything it touches, in this case the FBI. The Nashville, oh yes, this is precious. The Nashville Tennessean refers only to a shooter. (laughs) Uh, If it was a white Christian, they wouldn't say a shooter. The shooter was a female-to-male transgender shooter named Aubrey Hale. This is interesting, isn't it? Vivek Rawaswamy, running third in the GOP presidential primary, recently called for the manifesto's release. He characterized the government's position as stonewalled silence. Even the governor of Tennessee has as asked that it be released. The city of Nashville can say no to the governor? I mean, is that... I I don't know. I I just don't know how it works. Well, the legislature is in a curious position. Lawmakers are being asked to debate and vote on legislative proposals being made only because of the March shooting even as some of the most important facts are kept secret. What are they voting on exactly? Are they voting on whether to release it? Do you know what they're voting on? Might be school safety laws. That's very odd. Governor Lee's office says he's called for the release of the manifesto, and it's the Metro Nashville Police and the FBI keeping the lid on. So... Why do you think they're not releasing this manifesto of this trans woman? Every one of you knows because it, the, we assume, I can't know, we assume the reason, it won't comport with the left wing's agenda. It will not show a trans woman as a victim but as a vile human being doing this in part because he, she was trans. Well, that's it. Yeah, so apparently it says, the fact remains a special session of the legislature has been called because of a major news event, but much of the news is being kept under wraps. Okay. It'll be very, uh, very interesting. We should call this professor of law, Glenn, oh, Glenn Reynolds. Yeah, yeah let's call him up, because the article is not entirely clear what the legislature is voting on. And that, that I'd like to ask him that. This is part of the totalitarian nature of the left. Remember... If you don't hear it from the government, it is not true. And if the government doesn't want you to hear something, 
they don't want you to hear something because it's good for you not to hear it. That's how it works. Why would they want to show a trans person in a bad light? Of course they wouldn't. It's like the German press rarely notes that the disproportionate amount of violent crime, especially rape, is committed in Germany by immigrants, specifically from the Muslim world. And they, they don't want they don't want people to bear ill will. I understand the ill will issue. I don't understand the lying part. Well, I can't say I don't understand. For the left, such groups as Muslims are only victims, like the trans. By the way, I made a mistake uh, throughout the uh, the first segment. I'm glad it was caught because I hate having a mistake take on a life. It was a trans man, not a trans woman, who committed the murders in Nashville. So it was a woman saying that she is a man, not a man saying he is a woman. Just, it doesn't change anything. It is nevertheless a fact that needs to be accurately related. On a completely different subject, but one that has hounded me from the day it occurred, the untold story of the American retreat from Afghanistan. Kabul is the name of the book. James Hassan is one of the two authors. He's a former Army captain, graduate of the U.S. Army Ranger School, and an Afghan veteran or Afghanistan veteran who received the Bronze Star. So, James Hassan, welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Where are you located, if I may ask, or unless it's a secret? I am in uh, Fairfax, Virginia right now. Okay, I'm just curious. I I never understood, and by the way, a lot of Republicans, not just Democrats, were for the leaving Afghanistan. I found the arguments, and I'd like you to respond to my reaction or to those arguments or both. I never understood this argument, well, what are we going to remain there indefinitely? Well, we remained in Germany indefinitely, South Korea indefinitely. Uh, I don't, I don't quite uh, understand. Given the evil to which Afghanistan was inevitably going to descend, why, why we wouldn't stay there at, at minimal cost? Thank God to lives. Do, do you? How do you react to that argument? Yeah, I would say. Um... Yeah, there, there's a whole lot of merit to what you just said, and the you know, the nature of warfare in 2021 is very different than you know, it was in 2001. We have uh, arms, you know, uh, unmanned assets. Uh, you know, and things are just very, very different. But one of the things that we do point out in Kabul is that no matter which side of, of the divide you fall on, in terms of whether or not we should stay or whether we should leave 
and I think there there's very strong arguments that uh, what happened, just the decision to leave completely was a massive mistake because now there are literally card-carrying members of al-Qaeda who have lead, uh, positions of leadership in the Taliban government. The training camps are back. Uh, you know, I can go on and on. But no matter which side of the argument you fall on, um, one thing is very, very clear, and we lay it all out in Kabul, that things did not have to end the way that they did. And they ended the way that they did with a tragic loss of 13 American warriors and well over you know, several thousand Americans abandoned, left behind, simply because of the Biden administration's toxic combination of ignorance and self-assurance. Ignorance and arrogance. Absolutely. How could we have left without having a fiasco? I think one thing that's gotten mentioned a lot, uh, obviously, is the, uh, um, the decision to abandon Bagram as our central staging ground for any withdrawal. Uh, we, we lay out in Kabul over and over how the, the military brass warned the Biden administration that um, abandoning Bagram would be a disaster. It had dozens of runways. It was built for exactly the type of withdrawal that we were planning to conduct. But defending Bagram requires having at least several thousand soldiers present uh, until uh, you, know, you, you decide to fully withdraw. And Joe Biden had no interest in that. He wanted the number under 1,000. So as of uh, you know, August 2021, there were only 600 troops in the country. There were four diplomats for every uh, soldier or Marine. And for that reason alone, Bagram had to go and uh, conduct any, you know, the inevitable evacuation out of a single strip airport in the middle of a dense urban environment. But one thing that people haven't really talked about enough is that, and we, uh, we reveal this in, in Kabul, is that the suicide bomber himself, who was captured in a CIA operation in 2019, and named Abu Ramin al um, was in prison at a, a, a detention facility at Bagram. He was released when we abandoned the airbase and the Taliban overran it um, two years ago on Tuesday. All right, hold, hold on. I want, I want to hear the rest of that. The book, Kabul, is up at DennisPrager.com. James Hassan, co-author with Jerry Dunleavy. In great clouds, a white walls, a blue sky, we're going to fly, feel If a Republican president had done what Joe Biden did in the immoral, disastrous, farcical abandonment of Afghanistan in the way it was done, uh, it would have been grounds for impeachment given the ease with which Democrats impeach. But it's gone down the memory hole, but it, not, not anymore thanks to the book that has just been published by a, a former army captain who won the Bronze Star in Afghanistan and his co-author, the Army captain, is James Hassan. Co-author is Jerry Dunleavy. The book is Kabul, the untold story of Biden's fiasco and the American warriors who fought to the end.
So you were t- you were talking about a Taliban suicide bomber or a uh, excuse me a uh, uh, was it ISIS? What 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 group was he with? Uh, ISIS. Yeah. ISIS, correct. I- ISIS. So what were you saying? I was pointing out is that uh, there's been a lot of talk about the decision to abandon Bagram, but one thing that has been completely omitted from conversation, and that we reveal in Kabul, is that. The, the ISIS suicide bomber himself was captured in the CIA operation in 2019, and he was housed at what was called Parwan Prison at Bagram Air Base. And when Joe Biden decided, and it was Joe Biden's decision, we show that as well in the book, to um, abandon Bagram, this man was freed when the Taliban took it over. So you can trace... The suicide bombing itself, uh, directly back to the original sin of abandoning Bagram. But the interesting thing is, um, you, you mentioned that the, the administration has tried to just whitewash this whole withdrawal. And that's absolutely correct. And it's one of the reasons why we wrote this book, is to tell the complete, full story. Uh, they have never said the name of the suicide bomber uh, who conducted the attack. His name is Abdul Rahman Alagari, because if they do so, inevitably questions will arise, uh, like the ones that we pursued in Kabul, which is where did this guy come from? How did he escape? What happened? Um, and if you think about it, there's no major terrorist attack in, in history where we've never identified who the bomber is. And as I point out, there's a reason for that. I, I, I'm sitting here, you know, I, I did not know that. I did not know they didn't even mention uh, his name. Do you have a a thought, I'm sure you do, why did Biden, A, evacuate Afghanistan, B, the way he did it? Certainly. Uh, one of the things that we do is, is trace through uh, briefly, but, but thoroughly, Biden's history in terms of making decisions. As you know, uh, Robert Gates, who was Obama's secretary of defense, said that Joe Biden had been on the wrong end of every major foreign policy decision for 40 years. Um, but by, if we were to get in Joe Biden's head for a second, um, and based on the statements that, that he's made publicly, uh, he thought he was the smartest one in the room. And he, he pushed uh, Obama to completely abandon Afghanistan in 2014. And he was robust, and he always um, had a grudge against military leadership for, for basically uh, you know, winning that argument. So one of the things that we reveal is the very first uh, week that he was in office, uh, he, in an Oval Office meeting, he asked, how quickly can we get out of Afghanistan? He didn't say, how, how can we do it safely? He didn't say, how can we do it while keeping our promises to allies? It was simply, how quickly can we get out of Afghanistan? And uh, to get out of, out of Afghanistan as quickly as possible and to be able to say we only have, you know, 600 or so troops, which is about commensurate with what we would have for an embassy the size of the one in Kabul in any other country. Uh, to do that, he had to, we had to be out of Bagram. And politics took priority over strategy and uh, it was the American wait, 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 wait. When you say uh, politics took priority, 
Why? Did the American people want him to do this? Why was it politically advantageous? He believed that uh, that that's what the American people wanted, or at least to, to end the wars. You know, you mentioned before that there was some disagreement, even on the right. But uh, he wanted to be able to pin, like, pin his flag as the, the president that ended the the war in Afghanistan. And it's kind of incredible that he originally chose September 11th as our withdrawal or, you know, say surrender date. Well, I have to tell you, before I thank you and really urge people to read your book, Kabul, it's up at uh, DennisPrager.com, Alan. Good. You said something, I didn't want to interrupt you, which uh, I I could have self-asphyxiated when I heard. That he he thinks he's the smartest man in the room. Yeah, we uh, we detailed uh, you know decisions recounted by or conversations recounted by uh, even now the late Richard Holbrook, who was uh, a senior advisor to um, President Obama at, and Biden at the time, where Biden would tell him, you know, the generals uh, rule Biden, but they can't rule me. Um, and but really quickly before we go, one thing I do want to add uh, about the book and the reason why we wrote Kabul is that we detail it in the words of the Marines and soldiers themselves who were there exactly what they faced at the gates every day. And it was it was the average American soldier and Marine at their very best Good. and American Good. at their very worst. For that, for that alone, we should uh, read it. James Hassan, thank you. And I, I, I hope you have many readers. Thank you very much, Dennis. My, my honor. Well, it's on, it's on my reading list. Next time, if I have a next time with him, I'm going to ask him how many people, people who aided America have been left in Afghanistan. Among the most embarrassing, morally embarrassing aspects of this morally embarrassing government. Hello, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. All of my life, and my guest is going to find this really interesting, when I said all of my life, what I thought about I, at about the age of 28, debated Betty Friedan. (laughs) I am sure that my guest has not been interviewed by anyone who debated Betty Friedan. (laughs) My guest is Carrie Gress, G-R-E-S-S, The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. With me is Julie Hartman, the Dennis and Julie podcast which you can see at the Salem News Channel, and you can see on Spotify and here everywhere and at the Julie Hartman uh, website, correct? YouTube channel, yes. YouTube channel is with me as well. It's perfectly fitting that you'd be with me, especially given the subject. So am I right, Carrie Gress, that you have not met anybody who actually debated Betty Friedan? 
Oh, my goodness. I never have, and I'm dying to hear the details. That sounds amazing. Okay, so let me give you just one, because you're the star of this interview. (laughs) But you will will truly love this. In the middle of the debate, it took place... Mm -hmm. Uh, in in uh, Los Angeles, I would say mm-hmm. so, uh, in the early seventies, and uh, in the middle of the debate, she actually stood up and walked off the stage. Mm-hmm. She said, "I wow. I am not." She said, "You are a male chauvinist piglet." To this day, I don't know why I wasn't a pig, but a piglet. And she walked off, and I all I did, it's very hard uh, to uh, get me uh, frazzled, uh, even in my 20s, and all I did was continue talking, like nothing happened. Oh, and she came goodness. back. She came back? <laughs> yes, because I didn't go nuts. I didn't beg her to come back. You want to walk oh. off? Have a nice trip. You know, taxis are awaiting oh, okay. outside. I love it. Oh, I would pay so much money to see that. Well, there it is actually, it is videoed, but I, I getting access to it is somewhat like finding atom bomb secrets. But it was videoed. No, I, I, I can't wait to put it up. Anyway, I salute I you. So where are you located? I like to know where I'm talking to people. I'm in uh, the D.C. area, Washington, D.C. area. Um, allow me to ask Why? Why am I in the Washington? Yes. That's a very good question. I, I have know. been asking this question for a long time. <laughs> Once I finished my doctorate, I thought, we'll, we'll move. And, um, you know, it just hasn't happened yet. So here we are. Where, where did you get your doctorate? Uh, at, from Catholic University of America in, in Washington. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being extremely Catholic, 1 being almost, almost, not at all, what is the Catholic mm-hmm. University? Um, well, I mean, it was it was founded by the, the Vatican. Um, it's obviously gone through various stages and iterations, and there are some departments that are more Catholic than others. But um, I went through the, the philosophy department, so it, it's um, it's pretty solid. I would give it a, a good eight and a half or nine. Oh, really? Um, I didn't expect that. So, so it's, yeah, it, no, there's uh-huh. other departments that are are much lower, but it just kind of depends on which school you're in. Right. Yeah. So what prompted you to write The End of Woman? Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I um, this is my 10th book. I had already written a, a book on women that sort of went back to second wave feminism. Um, but I wanted to write something for a secular audience. And um, so I thought, you know, I haven't really looked into first wave feminism. And there's still so many problems. You know, we still can't define what a woman is. We, we're having all this trans issue. Like, I wanted to explain how it all happened. And um so I went all the way back to first wave feminism and was just like blown away at what I found. I had no idea there was so much awful wreckage back there that really obviously led to the... By first wave, do you mean suffragettes or Betty Friedan? Oh, yeah. No, no. I mean suffragettes. Um, Interesting. I mean, like, wow. From the 1920s. Further, let's go back to, how about 1790, 1810, <laughs> 1870. It's, it's, there's, there's just a wreckage everywhere. Um, so that's what I really discovered and kind of what drove, you know, the heart of the book. But, um, no, I think the bigger question is just what, you know, why, how is it, why are we in this culture that we, we don't know how to define a woman, men are becoming women, so-called, and little girls are being, you know, pushed to, to becoming little boys. And I, I think it just, we need to start recapturing what it means, but also figure out how we got here. So that's really the, what, what made me write it. 
I mean, you really piqued my curiosity. You're telling oh, me you that go. these ideas go back to the 18th century? They do. They do. Yeah. French Revolution was, um, of course, you know the significance and how much was torn down. And um, Mary Wollstonecraft is writing. She's considered the godmother of of the movement. And she wrote down a few ideas in her Vindication of the Rights of Women. And then her son-in-law, whom she... Uh-oh. We've uh, lost the connection here, my friends. Looks like she hung up. Hmm. I'm we'll sure she right now. She hung up. Right. We'll be back. I am so curious. Julie, did you know that it goes back that far? No. But if you read Paul Johnson's Modern Times, you'll see that a lot of the seeds of wokeism go back to the turn of the 20th century. So it doesn't shock me that it goes back further in history than we might think. But that far, that is a bit surprising. Well, when she says French Revolution, it now makes sense. Mm -hmm. We have Dr. Bress back. Yes, okay, so we have you back, which is very nice. (laughs) Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, So so anyway, I was saying um, Percy Shelley, the poet, was Mary, Mary Mary Wollstonecraft's son-in-law, but Mary Wollstonecraft never met him because she died in childbirth delivering Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. And um, Percy Shelley really took a lot of Mary's ideas and just ran wild with them. I mean, he was this wild character that was very involved in the occult, hugely into the free love movement, um, and just thought, this is, I can articulate this vision in uh, the the women's revolution in his poetry. And he did. And, um, you know, he, he rewrote Genesis, you know, this whole idea of we've probably, you've probably seen the bumper stickers. Eve was framed. Um, that sort of hails back to his ideas. So anyway, he really congealed together these three ideas of what became radical feminism, um, which were free love, smashing the patriarchy or kind of restructuring society, um, back then. And then, um, the occult, and those, you see them all in Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan B. Anthony, most of the suffragettes. Um, and then, of course, in the 1900s, it, it switches allegiances and, and moves um, much more towards communism and um, more atheist kind of attitudes, although the occult certainly comes Was Betty Friedan, a, uh, did she claim to be Marxist in her views? No. She never claimed it, and there was this great book I found by a friend of hers that saw her at, I think it was at USC at one point, point. he's like, you are using Saul Alinsky's tactics. Like, clearly you are a communist. And she um, said, no, and he said, well, I'm going to write a book about it. And she said, well, I will never let you see my papers. And he just used all this open source stuff. Daniel Horowitz is his name. And um, so I was able to use a lot of resources from his book because he was just wanted to show that someone after McCarthyism could still be a communist. And thought that this was a great thing to show that she was a communist. And um, she always just claimed to be, you know, just a housewife. But there's <laughs> plenty of evidence that she was much more than that. And in fact, was really uh, all of her ideas were really driven by angles and this idea that we could women could only be free if they were in the, the workforce. Um, sort of that Arbeit Marx Frey idea, um, you know, work will set you free. Uh, that was really her motivation, and she uses, you know, you know better than most probably, incredible psychological tools to sort of make women feel like they're victims in the, uh, the comfortable concentration camp, what she called the home, and um, the fear of missing out. Like, she was just incredibly effective in in selling women on this idea that, um, 
you know, we were going to be happy if we left left home and, um, you know, started seeing our husbands and children as obstacles to our happiness instead of really a source of joy and fulfillment. That's right. I read The Feminine Mystique last year. I have to say mm. it, it was one of the darker weeks of my life. I believe The it. book is relentlessly it. depressing. Relentlessly. Mm-hmm. And I would agree. And it, it is oh, one gigantic oh, lament. Woe unto me, I am a woman. Yeah. Yes, this this victim mentality is just it's amazing how far it's gone, and it's still going. I mean, this is, you know, I call what she did is, is really sort of, and feminism is really sort of the, the gateway drug to all the woke stuff that we have, because they were so effective in making men the oppressors and women the victims that they just, ran with it and we still you know live with this on a daily basis the book is the end of woman how smashing the patriarchy has destroyed us carrie gress the book is up at dennisprager.com julia is a very interesting question right up your alley given the ease with which ideology can change people's attitudes how strong is human nature Tough question. So I am uh, speaking. I have Julie Hartman in studio with me. We do a, a podcast together called Dennis and Julie. And it is one of the most important things I have ever engaged in, in my opinion, in public life. That is how highly I think of that weekly podcast. My guest or our guest, is Carrie Gress. And this is an illuminating book, The End of Woman. How? The, by the way, that is exactly right, The End of Woman. <laughs> uh, you know, it just occurred to me, you're right, that is exactly what it is. So yeah. I, I was at college and graduate school during the heyday of the stuff when the feminist, you know, didn't shave her legs, for example. Mm-hmm. And uh, all I remember thinking was it, it struck it so came out of nowhere, so to speak. And I they, mm-hmm. they really think being a man is a better thing than being a woman. Mm-hmm. The very yeah. fact I yeah. remember, uh, and I, I have to admit, and I'm not proud of this, but I'm not ashamed. It's just a fact. I'm a male. I'm not just a man. And mm-hmm. when. I heard that all these women were saying, oh, we can have sex with no commitment just like men could. I thought, whoa, we men have been waiting for this for 25,000 years. (laughs) (laughs) I remember thinking that. (laughs) Because I knew knew it was nonsense. But hey, if they wanted to believe this, who am I to dissuade them? I, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but I, I've always chosen to be open with my with my listeners. So where, where does this emanate from the end of woman? Yeah, well, I think you put your finger on it, um, because part of what we see both in early feminism and, of course, in the second wave that you, you know, experience firsthand is this idea of um, how do we help women but not as women. It, the, the question really is, how do we help women become more like men? And that seemed to be the answer. I mean, it was really, you know, I think women who were trying to be helpful looked around and saw 
fertility is really the problem. It makes us vulnerable. It creates all these problems. Like, how do we circumvent this? And so as a result, what happened was just this idealization of the masculine. And so that's where it, it came from. And you, like like you said, you saw it firsthand. Um, but it's obviously created this very bizarre relationship between men and women because women, you know, there's also this desire to sort of erase gender. So it's this we want to be just like you, but we also hate you and we want you to change and become more like us. So it's this very awkward dynamic that's been created out of it. And that's where we see all the, the tension that's you know risen out of it over the last 50 years. What kept you from it? Huh. Uh, actually, I grew up in Oregon. I went to the University of Oregon. And I, I think I just was around so many damaged, drugged out, crazy people that I just saw like this was not a compelling lifestyle to me. Um, you know, I was on, I mean, plenty of a messed up life and, and had a big conversion uh, when I was in college, largely. And um, my father had also passed away. So I was asking deeper questions probably than most co-eds were at that point. But um, yeah, I think it was just, you know, so many people that were on so high and choosing and, and things happened in Oregon a lot sooner than they happened anywhere else either. So, uh, you know, I really saw where these things were going just based on the, my classmates. And um, so, yeah, it was really just seeing like this is there's nothing great about this. These people do not have the kinds of lives that I care to emulate. And there's got to be better answers. And so that's really what started me on this search. If uh, I said recently in a speech, if leftists had produced happy and good people, I would be a leftist. But yeah. but they yeah. produce almost universally not good and not happy people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it a is n- nowhere truer, the, the latter one is nowhere truer than with women. We have the highest rates of depression in women ever recorded in American history. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure it's correct. Yeah. And that's the big lie is you know, the more feminist, feminism we have, we're supposed to be happier. That's sort of the corollary they want us to believe is the case, but it's just the exact opposite. It's depression, it's suicide, it's substance abuse. All of those things are showing that women are not being made any happier by, by what's being offered to them night and day. What do you think came first, feminized men or masculinized women? Oh, uh, probably masculinized woman. I, I'd have to think about it a little bit. Yeah, and I, I, I don't have an answer. I, I, they, yeah. they seem to go hand in hand, but I, I was I was wondering which, which... See, my theory as a man, or no, as a human, I'm not sure, I take it back as a man, early as a human, is that women yearn for masculine men. And mm-hmm. if they're not, they fill the void that yeah. men have left. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and I think you have to weigh into all of that, of course, just what, you know, post-war stuff. I mean, I think those are really interesting questions. What happens when you have a lot of men that don't come home or they come home with incredible, you know, mental damage? I mean, these are all things that have, have led to it in ways because it's just a, that kind of breakdown of the, the male-female relationship on so many different levels. Well... Uh, I promise you, you're one of my next two or three books. <laughs> you, <laughs> that's how important I think what you wrote is. The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us, Carrie Gress, the book. 
is up at DennisPrager.com. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. You're right. You're very, very welcome. Julie will ruminate about this in a moment. Nothing like ruminating <laughs> on radio. You agree, Sean? Thank you. Very eerie thing what has happened in in the the last 50 or so years with the feminist movement, and that was the subject of my, the author I just had on. I really want to read this book, The End of Patriarchy. It's, it's, excuse me, The End of Woman, not The End of Patriarchy, The End of Woman, but I think Patriarchy, yes, in the subtitle. How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. You know, it's so. I have Julie Hartman with me. Julie just graduated. God, a year ago, isn't it? It's hard mm-hmm. to believe. It seems like ten years. I ago. know. Isn't that weird? Like I, I know we started Dennis and Julie from your dorm room. Yes. <laughs> but it seems like ancient history. Life is very funny, time wise. Very, very funny. Anyway, tell me, as a young woman. I want to the the best of your ability to relate to this, and, and you, and I believe you can, because you're very accomplished. So you you should be a feminist ideal. You're an extremely accomplished professional woman. So when they say we conservatives, especially we conservative men, want to have women barefoot and pregnant, you had not heard that phrase. No. Right, but now are you familiar with it? Julie, you told me yes. So at home, living a domestic life, bearing children, right, and and that that is essentially the the ultimate nightmare for a woman. How do you explain that? How do I explain that the left paints conservatives in this way? No, no, it's a very fair clarification. How do you explain that that is a nightmarish vision? To so many women. Well, we talk about this a lot on Dennis and Julie, that things like creating a lovely home, getting married, having children, having a religious life, those conventional things are seen as boring. I think there is a fear here of a boring life. Our culture celebrates instant gratification like drugs, sex, alcohol, TV. And so we get this idea that the the traditional path, which takes a lot more time, effort, and work, is not going to lead to as exciting a life um, as an alternative method. So I think there's this element of we fear that we're going to be bored. And frankly, it's not too profound of an answer, but it's the truth. There's a lot of myth-making here. If you say something enough, people really believe it. And there is this this myth that uh, women will be extremely unhappy if they're in the home. They will be subordinate inherently to their husbands because they are doing menial work. It's interesting because they they they're really disparaging the extremely important and difficult job of being a mother and a wife. By by saying that the woman is inherently inferior to the man by staying in the home, they're giving the backhand to that kind of very important work. 
but but there is still this this myth that that women will will be inherently inferior to their husband they will be ordered around by their husband they'll have to make their husband and children meals they'll have to pick up after them and they're just nothing but a useful person in the house for the greater benefit of the man a sort of glorified domestic yes, servant yes that's what it is a glorified female slave we never hear anything about how happy and enriching you or happy and enriched you can be being a mother and a wife growing never, up I, never I, besides never. for my own mother thankfully but uh, growing up in schools and in That's just right. the greater culture i never heard so that. i i went on the young turks to to leftists to oh, have it that have, must have been fun had a, that's the word for it fun <laughs> so i was on with her uh, Anna is her name. Is that right, guys? Anna yeah, Kasparian. I remember. Is it Anna? Yes. Yeah. So she so mocked by saying that if a girl got up in a college class where, let's say, they were all asked, oh, what would you like to do with your life? And, it, and it, some girl got up and she said, frankly, my, uh, my greatest uh, desire is a family life to be a wife and a mother and and you know, run a home. And I said, in my opinion, she would be regarded as as, as weird. You're right. She would. Yeah. She mocked yes. this yes, as did. if... What, she said, where's uh, your evidence? Yeah, no, data. Data, yes. Data. Back in a moment. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free... Every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.